Hello and welcome to a special series of pathology podcasts celebrating the second National Pathology Week held by the Royal College of Pathologists. I'm Ben Valsler from thenakedscientists.com and in these podcasts I'll bring you some of the highlights of Pathology Week along with interviews to explain more about the importance of pathology in society. This year's events focused on pathology, the heart of modern healthcare, and considered many different aspects that affect our understanding of the heart. In this series of podcasts, we'll be discussing how thinking about heart problems could save a baby's life, looking at the process of a heart transplant, the heart in art, the ethics of heart surgery, and the anatomy of a heart attack. In this podcast, we're looking at the art of modern healthcare. We'll be hearing about an art exhibition inspired by the heart and discussing the ethical issues surrounding heart surgery. So what role does art have to play in healthcare? Dr Susie Lishman, pathologist and Pathology Week organiser, explains more. Today we've been looking at the art of modern healthcare. We've been looking at an art exhibition that we're holding here in the Royal College of Pathologists for National Pathology Week and it'll be open for three months until the end of January and looking at the science behind it. So it's based on the uh, structure of the heart, particularly the blood vessels of the heart and the images of heart blood vessels and muscle were given to a variety of artists who've interpreted it in different ways, making glass, ceramics, mosaics, paintings, sculptures, based on the anatomy of the heart. Art doesn't have to have an explanation. You don't necessarily have to learn something from art. Art can exist for art's sake. But all of this has a, almost a learning objective. It has a point to it. Do you think there is a role for art in science like this? Definitely. I think there are very close links between art and science. As a histopathologist myself, one of the skills that's required is pattern recognition. Recognising the pattern that, for example, a cancer might take as it invades the adjacent tissue is very similar to recognising patterns, perhaps the brushstrokes of different artists. So I, as many pathologists do, actually have an interest in art outside of work. So I think there are very close links, and I think it's a very good way of engaging people because the art can be a bit different, it's colourful, it's challenging, and it's a bit less of a school subject, particularly for people who are doing science, GCSE and A-level. It's quite nice to actually see the science that they learn in the classroom turned into art on the wall. Is it also a useful way to get people thinking about their hearts without preaching, without preaching about what they eat or whether or not to smoke or to drink? Yeah, it's a really good point, and I think it's a quite a fine balance and one that we tried to keep today because the theme of the uh, art exhibition is actually to try and stop people from smoking, particularly young women who are increasingly taking up smoking. And the hope is that if they understand the beauty of their heart, that they won't want to damage it by smoking. That was Susie Lishman introducing the Tree of Life exhibition. The artworks were commissioned by retired histopathologist Dr Geoffrey Farrah-Brown, who understands the relationship between art and science. I had linked art and medicine earlier on in the mid-1990s when I met an artist, Susan McFarlane, who painted people at work. And I asked her to come down and paint my laboratory as to what happens to a specimen in the histopathology lab. And when I saw the ability of her to show human emotion alongside a stark scientific background, I asked her to paint the story, the pathway 
of a patient who has carcinoma of breast. This exhibition, which was launched at the Barbican, is still traveling and has been to over 40 venues. And because of the success of that exhibition, I asked Susan to paint childhood leukemia with the same theme, and the 27 oil paintings are also still touring. Out of the experience of those two exhibitions, I had always kept in my mind the beauty of the blood supply of the muscle of the heart, which I had shown up in my thesis in America when I worked there in Chicago in 1965. And I started to show artists who all worked in different art media my cardiac pathology pictures because I was trying to get inside the minds of young women who had taken up smoking and I wanted to get them to look at the beauty of their heart as well as their outside beauty and pose the question, why damage this by smoking? And as the tree of life is not only present as a branching system within the muscle of our heart, I wanted to emphasize that we are virtually a tree of life in every organ we look at, but also the universe around us is a tree of life. So by asking artists to give their own interpretation of images that you had taken for medical purposes, that your original intention had never been to take these for display in, a, in a, an exhibit like this, they've come up with a range of different materials, a range of different styles. Some are quite clearly heart-shaped, some are far more abstract. But between them, they communicate something quite powerful. Yes, I was absolutely amazed how powerful their work was. So different in the aspects they took out of my book. It was interesting, most of the pieces probably took the artist a year to complete. So the whole exhibition took five years to compose. I had no idea at the end of those five years whether I'd got an exhibition, whether there was sufficient in it. Because up till that moment, it was really for personal reasons I was doing it. So it was then that I showed it to the outside world, and I think it brought home to me that the beautiful pieces of art, all very different, were sufficient to put forward the theme of the beauty of what is within us. Because they are all so different, I wouldn't ask you to pick a favourite. But is there one in particular that you'd like to talk us through? Probably to talk you through the first artwork that I asked to be done with Alan Kager-Smith, his ceramic bowls. Because until I saw the result of that one year later, I had no idea how such an intelligent artist would interpret my book. And the variety he did within three bowls, where he depicted the heart as a shape with its arteries coming off, then the actual myocardium in the wide bowl and bringing us back to earth in his green bowl, for me will always remain a favorite merely because it was the first pieces of art that I started the exhibition with. And how have the intended audience, in particular young women, how have they responded to it? 
I will never know whether the main theme of trying to help people decide to give up smoking will ever have worked, because it takes time for the smokers to decide, and it's no good as a medical person just saying, you must give it up. It has to be their decision. So as a theme, it's been openly talked about, it has now traveled widely, and I do know that those that look and see the artwork, nearly all the comments are extremely favorable. Some don't like all the pieces, which is very fair, and have favorite pieces, but there are very few who walk away and don't show any interest at all. Geoffrey Farrow-Brown on the inspiration for the Tree of Life exhibition, which is running at the Royal College of Pathologists until the end of January 2010. From the school groups who attended the event, some of the pupils described their favourite pieces. Love-Hate Relationship is a piece of metal sculpture where there are two parts to it. One part is copper and it's representing healthy veins of a heart. The veins are all nice and smooth and long. Um, And the other side is made out of, I think, a kind of steel, a German kind of steel, which is very tough. And the veins look more straight and kind of broken and wooden, very rigid. They're soldered together pieces of the vein. And I think that represents an unhealthy heart, a heart possibly with clots, but it looks like it's got many clots because there are many soldered pieces. Um, And I think it's a really good visual representation of health against disease. And I think that's quite poignant in the Royal College of Pathologists, so it's really good. Do you think art has a role to play in, in informing us about our health? Yeah, definitely, especially pieces like this because they help you kind of reflect on your own heart. You would think to yourself, what would my heart look like? And then you'd consider your life choices. So if you were a smoker, which I'm not, but if you were, I think that if I was presented with this as a smoker, I'd start to consider, is that what my heart's looking like, the silver or the copper? You know, is that still piece of artwork, might the representation of my heart, and do I want it to be that way? Maybe if I reflected further, I'd make choices to bring me more towards the copper representation. I really like the, it's called The Fragility of Life and it's um, made out of glass and it depicts like a normal heart, um, a heart with angina and a heart after a heart attack and I just thought it was really beautiful. It kind of shows that there really is beauty in like human form and even beauty in things that kill. I like the glass hearts a lot, they're called um, matters of the heart and I like them because initially they look like... um, they're like jewels, you know, or and it's called he calls them strange fruits. I know a very powerful song called Strange Fruit. It's got nothing to do with that, but that was what made me look at I was like, ooh, look, look. It's like the song. And then I loved how they looked like little jewels and the way that some of them were dressed up in sort of like jackets. They were like little embryos, maybe, or babies. And they show how they're a very beautiful thing. But also how fragile and how intricate they can be. I found just the technicality of the art was amazing. The um how I can't see how on earth the artist ever managed to get so many colours. Must have been impossible. We must have broken so many of them making them. I don't know, but I loved it because of that. I like the the big model, the heart called the heart of you. Firstly, because just the way it's kind of like a depiction of the heart, but yeah, I suppose the way it's just the intricacy of it and the way it's carved, and and also the fact that it was made by someone who has memory loss and who suffers brain damage was, I think, just made it a lot more special. And just you know the the way it kind of depicts the arteries and the veins. I thought it was really amazing. 
So it's interesting on more than one level. You have the, the physical form of it, the fact that it's showing you something that is real, but also the fact that the artist has his own demons to struggle with. Yeah, definitely. I think um, it's really difficult for you to be under that pressure but also come up with something that's so creative and that's so different from you know, what we usually see. I think it's really inspirational to people who don't suffer from the same kind of limitations. So the process of creation of an art installation, as well as the finished product, engaged and inspired the students and gave them cause to examine the beauty of the heart. It wasn't just the aesthetics of the heart that gave the students cause to think. There was also a debate on the ethics of heart surgery. Susie Lishman explains what the students had to consider. Okay, we had groups of students and we split them into two halves. One half represented Sam, who's a 15-year-old boy who was born with congenital heart disease. He had a heart transplant at the age of five and then, unfortunately, a side effect of the drugs he had to take because of that heart transplant meant that he got leukaemia and he then had to have a lot of quite toxic drugs to uh, treat the leukaemia. He's now 15 and the drugs that he had for the leukaemia have damaged his heart again and he's about to go back on the waiting list for a second heart lung transplant. The other group represents Sam's parents because Sam has decided that he's had enough. He doesn't want any more treatment, he doesn't want any more surgery, it's painful, he hates being in hospital, he just wants to be left alone at home with no more medical intervention. His parents are obviously heartbroken at the thought that their only child might die and have gone to the courts to try and get them to decide to overturn Sam's decision. Is this a realistic situation? Is this something that doctors, pathologists, surgeons actually do have to face? Thankfully, it's not one that we have to face very often, but there have been examples, and obviously this is an imaginary scenario that we've made up just for today, but there have been similar sorts of events take place, particularly Sam is 15, so he's coming up to 16, which is an age at which people often think that children are able to make decisions like this for themselves. So we intentionally made him around that age group because he may have the mental maturity of somebody much older. So it doesn't happen very often, but you may have seen high-profile cases like this in the news where the doctors couldn't decide, the family couldn't decide, and in the end it's had to go to the courts. And what were the main ethical questions you wanted your students to examine? We asked them who really had the right to decide. It's Sam's life. He's only 15, but is he mature enough to think of all the consequences of his actions and make that decision for himself? Or because he's underage, should it be his parents? Or do the doctors have Sam's best interests at heart and should they tell Sam and his parents what should happen? So that was really the main question we were looking at. But there were also side issues like... There are a limited number of hearts available for transplant and a lot of people die while they're waiting for a transplant. So Sam's already had one. Does he deserve another? There may be somebody who's never had a transplant and may be more deserving. It was quite interesting listening to the groups. Practically everybody in the group felt that somebody who had a disease that was no fault of their own was much more deserving of medical treatment and perhaps a transplant than somebody who'd brought that disease on themselves through their lifestyle, for example, using drugs or smoking. And by and large, did the groups reach a consensus or is this still the sort of thing reflecting the different opinions of the doctors, the parents, the courts perhaps? Was there a a divide in their decisions? Interestingly, the one 
group that the people today thought shouldn't really have a say were the courts. They felt this was something that ought to be decided between Sam and his parents, possibly involving the doctors, but ultimately being made by Sam or his parents. But there they were split 50-50. And I had divided the groups into two and asked one half to look at it from Sam's perspective and one from the parents' perspective. So perhaps that's not surprising. But we didn't come to a consensus view of a single person who should make that decision. So what did the students think? The parents, they want um, Sam to live. They've invested everything in him. And because the child is only 15, it's probably the parents are not going to have any more kids, so they want him to live. For him to live would mean anything to the, to the parents, so they'd do anything for him to live, and they don't want him to die. The kid is 15, yeah. But isn't that the thing called sanctity of life? It's up to the kid to decide whether or not he wants to die or not. Because he's going to be living with the pain, not the parents. Legally, it's the parents' choice. And um, he might regret it later on. When he does turn 18 and he's legal to make his own decision, he might change and think that he should have had a heart transplant if he does live on until he's 18. So I think it should be the parents' choice. It's not actually staying alive that's important because it is his life. There's no point if he's you know, suffering every day and he's trying to just live on because he needs life actually to live life he's not actually getting to live it so there's no point really if he wants to end his life he can if he, but if he wants to carry on suffering every day that's up to him I think he is still young and he's not fully matured yet so he should think about it I think he shouldn't be too hasty basically his whole life he's been suffering and basically he now has a chance to get another heart transplant and he doesn't want it he's refusing it because he says he's sick of suffering. He's like from the moment he was born, he was like poked with needles and having operations. And his parents are now saying, "Yeah, have the transplant. You can live longer." But at the end of the day, nobody knows if the transplant will actually work. And even if he does get a heart transplant, he he says that he will be living, but it won't be a normal life. He won't be able to go out. He'll be stuck because it says that he's stuck at home, living on oxygen. So it's not really an active life. I think that. You're right about saying he might not have very long to live because that old heart that he had, he had it when he was five, and he also got lungs, two major organs in the body. They only lasted about ten years. So who knows? Um, his condition's worsening with the leukaemia, so these organs might last pr- maybe half that time, so five years, whereas if you would give it to some other person, you might be able to save two lives with those two organs and might be able to give them a longer life, more, um, somewhere closer to 15 years or so, rather than um, just prolong his suffering. I think Sam does have a certain right to choose his own treatment, but in, from the parent side of view, they love this child. They don't want to be without him. They just want to spend as much time as they possibly can with him. So in their point of view, it's like, just go through it so we can be with you. So regardless of whatever happens, we're still here, so it doesn't really matter. Personally, I think having a certain quality of life is more important. I mean, you, you, you're living and you, you're having an awful life and you're not happy, you don't have any friends to play with, and that will actually, I mean, emotionally and psychologically, that will kill you. So I'd rather leave or I'd rather live for five years, quality life for five years, than to live for 15 years with a horrible life. So I think quality of life is more important. But if he does wait until he's 16 or 17, or even 18, then it's his right. But until he reaches that age, it's his parents' right. A difficult decision. Who does have the right to decide whether a patient lives or dies? 
Even though no consensus was reached, the students enjoyed the chance to explore the ethics of medicine. I caught up with Ashanti, Izzy and Sara from Burntwood School after the event. I really enjoyed like doing the ethical debate. I thought that was really interesting seeing everyone's point of view and trying to come to a consensus and realising that we couldn't because ethical issues are never really truly resolved. I did enjoy the debating a lot too, but I enjoyed the exhibition, the art exhibition a lot, and I didn't think I would, which is quite interesting. But I like the talks about heart disease a lot as well. What made you suspect that you wouldn't enjoy an art exhibition? Well, I do like art in general, but because I didn't expect it here, I didn't think... I'd, we, we weren't told it was anything to do with art at our school. So when I got here, I was just a bit like, oh, art? I was maybe slightly disappointed, but then I was happy. Same like me, I'm not really much of an artist, but I thought that the artistic component of the event today was really interesting. The way they kind of linked it to science was quite fascinating. Do you think art has a role to play in educating people about science, and in particular informing them about their own bodies? I think it does, because I think a lot of people find just the pure science a bit baffling if they're not interested in it. And especially younger people, people younger than us, it gets them more interested in it. And you can learn, they, they use it in hospitals, don't they? There's, heart, there's art all over hospitals to work with medicine and to interest patients, I guess. But, yeah, I think it's very important. You guys came to last year's National Pathology Week event as well. Has this shaped what you think a pathologist is? Well, before, when, if someone were to mention pathology to me, I think, oh, dead people. But coming to these events has just opened my eyes up a lot more to pathology, the way it's, it's actually such a diverse subject you know there's so many different fields you can go into oh yeah definitely they said about the bodies thing and I definitely thought that it was more to do with kind of cutting up corpses I actually wanted to be a pathologist before I even went to the first one but I found out even more about pathology I knew it wasn't just forensic pathology but I only really knew about um, hemopathology and histopathology and then she says there's 18 different branches of pathology which I didn't know I only knew about four I didn't know how many pathologists there were. I knew about the forensics not being a big side of it because people do always say to me, oh, you want to be like CSI. And have these events put you off? Not at all, no. Encouraged me, definitely encouraged me. No, I love them. The art, ethics and science of modern healthcare helping to inspire the next generation of pathologists. That was Izzy and before her Ashanti and Sarah from Burntwood School. But that's all from this National Pathology Week podcast. Do please check out the others in this series where we're exploring the process of getting a new heart, the anatomy of a heart attack, and why thinking heart could save a baby's life. You can find out more about National Pathology Week online at nationalpathologyweek.org. That's all one word. And you can visit the Royal College of Pathologists online at rcpath.org. I'm Ben Valsler from thenakedscientists.com and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.